0: Uh, Good evening from Abu Dhabi and I think it's a little bit later in the evening from Delhi and it's uh, early in the afternoon in Berlin and uh, this is Alex and uh, David again for our very latest episode uh, of the Sky Lounge podcast. And I was struggling with the title for this one because when I went through our uh, guest who I'll, I'll we'll, we'll ask him to do a quick introduction, he seems to be a man of many talents or I rather say is he could be a man of many passions. And I actually got confused because you normally don't see that mix of all the different things that he's done. You know in 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 one one sort of uh, career uh but let me introduce to you roger hall and i think uh, roger is somebody that you know like us is very passionate about aviation but i can see that he's passionate about quite a lot of other things as well um i would rather you know let roger do a quick introduction of himself so you know that actually gives us all a much clearer flavor of what this conversation is going to be about. It's going to be pretty wide ranging, Roger. So so I hand it over to you for a quick intro about your background, you know, uh, so our, our listeners get a, a quick overview of sure, what yes. they're about to hear. Yeah, thank you.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. And uh, my name is uh, Roger Hall. I'm uh, a uh, former captain um, on the A380 uh, for Emirates uh, Airline. I was 20. One years at Emirates, and prior to that, uh, my career uh, I started flying twin otters on wheel skis and floats up in Canada's north, uh, the far north, up uh, by the Arctic Circle and north of the Arctic Circle, and um, I was in the right seat uh, in those days, just uh, coming out of aviation college out of Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and. Um, I did that for about uh, two years, and then uh, I was fortunate to to join the Air Force in Canada, and I did 10 years on the C-130 Hercules uh, for the Canadian Air Force. And uh, then uh, I was lucky. I always uh, quit one employer on a Friday, started the next one on a Monday. And uh, then I worked for Canada 3000 uh, Airlines out of Toronto on the 757 for two years at 320 for another two years in the left seat. And then in 1999, I uh, came to Emirates uh, and uh, flew for them for 21 years. And now I'm uh, working for Tata Group, uh, Air India, helping them with their merger of the four airlines into one big airline here in uh, Delhi?
0: Wow, that's really
1: impressive.
0: Yeah, Alex, and I think when I look back at all the different aircraft types, and uh, also looking at uh, you know Roger's posts, he's really passionate about you know aircraft, and I think you know that's something. I know all the modern ones, but uh, I, I'm ashamed to say that when you take me back a little bit into history, that's where I sort of get lost. So, you know, really, really impressive, Roger.
1: Thank you. Yeah.
2: Yes. Same same here. And also, like, your story is very impressive in terms of from Arctic Circle to Dubai. Like, it seems like two opposite it is. <laughs> ends of the, of the spectrum. Yeah.
1: One day I'm going live, to uh, live somewhere which has uh, nice temperatures and not so extreme. Uh, but uh, it hasn't happened yet. <laughs>
0: So I think, Alex, I've got another title also for the podcast. It's from the Arctic Circle to the Desert of Dubai to the Plains of India. Yeah. And then question mark, right, after that. Right.
1: Yeah. Well, I hope from, from here one day it'll be to, uh, to a catamaran in the Mediterranean. But we'll have to see how things go.
2: Um, Roger. We also know that you, you know, you, um, you, you also have different uh, ventures like sportswear. You also wrote a book that we will talk a little bit uh, later in our episode uh, about, um, how um your experience as a captain. How yeah. do you leverage it in um, in those different, completely different ventures, as it seems from the side, you know, sportswear uh how did you come up to this idea
1: yeah that was uh my wife uh who came up with that idea we we had always had uh, companies uh, the two of us my wife and i uh, when we started a business when we were in canada uh, because when i was flying with the military i went to germany a lot and um Germany, as you would probably see, uh, Alexandra, they, they have a very wide range of body care products, shower gel, uh, foam bath, uh, uh cosmetics, etc. And so I saw uh, a lot of these products on the shelf in Germany and they were about four or five times the price in Canada for exactly the same type of product. So I wrote to the manufacturer of a particular brand in, uh, in Germany and they uh, wrote back saying yes we would be interested in exporting to Canada and so we started on a small scale bringing those products into uh, Canada from Germany and shipping by sea which is what we did we shipped by the ocean freight is actually very inexpensive and in those days it was only about 25 cents to bring a bottle of foam bath uh, all the way from Germany to Canada, 750 ml, 25 cents. Today it would probably be 75 cents, but in those days it was uh, only 25 cents, so we had a really uh, good cost advantage and the brand was somewhat known by Europeans in, in Canada also. So we uh, started that business and uh sold uh, quite a lot of it we were in the major most of the major retailers in canada hudson's bay company walmart which weren't no, it wasn't easy to get into any of them but we gradually uh built the business up and then uh, unfortunately it turned into a uh, lawsuit and uh, we had to oh, wow. take uh, take the other company to court and we put the same passion that we'd built the business up into, uh, and we hadn't taken any profit out of it either. We, we all put it just back into the business again. And so then we turned it into a lawsuit that took a couple of years, uh, but we were successful and uh, we settled out of court uh, for a reasonable amount. I had to give the lawyers quite a bit of the, uh, the, the uh, amount of the award and I had shareholders as well. But we had enough uh, to that when we were in Dubai that we had enough to start a business in Dubai in in the clothing, in swimwear and um, my wife Maureen is a seamstress uh, so she's very professional when it comes to sewing and so she started that business again on a very small scale. We always just start on a very small scale with very low risk and then built it up over 15 years to she's supplying most of the major uh, sports retailers in the, in the middle east uh, the gulf region and egypt and we're hoping to expand into india in the future as well with koika somewhere
0: Okay, wow i mean uh, alex if i can jump in here mm-hmm. for me what there are two or three things try, uh, you know stand out and this is i think for all the younger generation you know, out there listening to this. So, you know, it's not just about having aviation as a career, but I think it's also looking at opportunities that, that, you know, that you could come by. And I think aviation gives us the freedom to travel, but it also should open up our eyes into other opportunities out there, which I think is what Roger and his wife has done very well. And I think the second part I've listened to this, it's about patience as well. Uh, And I think currently, right now, a lot of us are in short supply when it comes to, to patients, right? We want things quickly. We want it immediately, right, Roger, Do you think that, what is your advice, you know, jumping onto the story that you told us, you know, in terms of being an entrepreneur, in terms of still being a pilot? And of course, having, having somebody to lean back on, you know, because it's, it's both of you all together that built the brand. What is some advice you would give to the, to the young generation out there who want something really quick, what would you tell them?
1: Well, I would say that when you when you start a business, you have to have at least three years, count on at least three years before you're gonna be able to take a profit out of it. And whatever it is you're going to do, make sure that you do it on a, a fairly small scale to begin with so that if it doesn't work out, it's not going to bankrupt you It may hurt you financially a little bit, but you want to make sure that you can recover from whatever losses you might experience. So, you know, if really in in any business, if I was starting out uh, in a new area that I didn't know anything about, I would only try to start with only risking maybe five or ten thousand dollars and see how it works out, because there's lots of times. It doesn't work out. You know, there's a number of things, another bus- number of businesses I tried that didn't work out. You know, I had an Amazon business in the U.S. Um, where we were selling cosmetics. And they were selling quite well. But um, for one thing, it's a very uh, competitive market. And the other thing is with cosmetic formulations, especially when it comes to creams, under eye, Uh, quite often there can be skin irritation issues Um, and uh, so that was a problem as uh, unfortunately there was a bit of a skin irritation issue that you can't play around with uh, especially in the USA if uh, if people, even if it's just a small proportion like one or two percent of people have an irritation problem that can turn into some very big uh, legal issues and then there was another another one of the products that we had, which was a variation of the the first product. Uh, it had an ingredient that um, Amazon wouldn't let you sell. Uh, there's a number of uh, products that uh, or ingredients that uh, you have to be careful with in the US. Uh, they're, they're legal to have in many countries, but in the US it could could be a problem. So, you, there's all, all kinds of things that are hidden and that can come and blindside you. And um, so, those are the kind of things you have to be careful of.
2: And I think here your experience as a pilot helps a lot, right? Because I assume as a pilot you are trained to mm-hmm. look and monitor so many different things and do not rush. Uh, make like thoughtful decisions, but sometimes yeah. act very quickly. So I, I, I see how your experience as a pilot really helped you, how you leveraged it in, in business as well.
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, not only with the ability to travel and find different products that you can import into your home country, but also as pilots, we, we always have to be looking far away uh, for long range for have a long range strategy for the flight and also for our careers and then also short range uh, second by second to make sure that we're we're paying attention and and uh, we are maximizing flight safety as well so the the long view and the short view uh, that has to Switch uh, very uh, regularly to make sure that you're looking after both sides of it. So I think that's useful in business as well as um, you. You can't only have a long term strategy; you have to be able to run the business day to day as well and and see how the two fit together. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean cosmetics, sportswear, but that's not it. Uh we also mentioned quickly a book about digital marketing uh so it's called top thirty seven adwords paper click secrets mm. exposed yeah uh, tell us tell us um, key highlights or key insights from from this book because obviously marketing is an area that is applicable to any business any business needs to promote and to market itself right. And I'm again questioning, like, really, you are a man of many talents. How you combine all of it and how digital marketing and this book came into picture?
1: Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, that came into the picture because with the clothing company in Dubai, we were advertising on Google, especially in the USA. You know, we were advertising in the US as well that their products were available there in the US. And um, so pay-per-click with Google, it still is, even today, it's it's kind of the number one best-performing way to get traffic. But it's also the most expensive, one of the most expensive. So you have to know how to optimize your ads to get the best traffic. And the way to do that is just through lots of testing. So I was always testing different versions, and then I came across a company and a newsletter online called uh, Mind Valley, Mind Valley Labs, which uh, was run by a gentleman called uh, Vishen uh, Lakiani and he has turned that business into much more than paper click marketing. Today, they are mainly in, in the health niche. Uh, They're a very big company now. I think he's a multimillionaire um, that he's built his company up. They have meetings around the world uh, every month, I think, and I think there's thousands of members that he has. Um, But one of the things I always try to do in business is, if you can, try and find partners that are a lot bigger than you are um, and have knowledge that you don't have. Try and find those people and try to partner with them and lots of times it's just an email or a letter they have no idea how big or small you are it might not even matter to them uh, how big or small you are and i offer i I told them that um i'm i want to write a book but i want to use your content for most of it and i in return i'd like to give you half of the the revenues of the book And uh, they wrote back and said, yeah, that sounds good to us. So we went ahead on that basis, and I used just the content of their newsletters, which was very, very good content, very good tips on how to write Google Ads and how to test properly. And I I made 37 uh, secrets out of it and uh, shared half of the revenues with them. And uh, that's that's how that book uh, got written. But it's a lot of work to write a book, and that, that's the only book I ever really wrote. I might do another one in the future, but it's it's a heck of a lot of a lot of work, and you've got to be really committed uh, to to do a book uh, properly.
0: Why thirty-seven, uh, Roger? Why the number thirty-seven? Yeah. Why not forty-five? Why not
1: you know fifty? Why not hundred? Yes. Well, it's that's a that's a good uh, that's a good question, and the the answer is kind of in your question, you know, because it does raise a question, like why thirty seven. So it's an attention getter. So um, it's an odd number for one thing. So whenever you put a price or a question or a book title or anything like that, make sure it's an odd number, because uh, if it's an odd number, it makes it seem like it's uh, more real. So if I'd called it uh, 26 secrets, it would have been nowhere near as interesting. Yeah. So 37, both those numbers are odd numbers, so that's really good. And um, it just uh, makes people uh, pay attention. And there's there's lots of examples on... Um, amazon of uh, good book titles and even the book contents themselves might not be that great but it it has a really good title so it outsells all the other books just because the title is good
2: this does not apply to your book of course your book is great because of the content not because of the 37 in the title (laughs) Yeah.
1: yeah that's right that's right yeah it is good content mainly because i didn't write a lot of the content that's from the mind valley guys but um you know i that book is free online anybody can download a copy it's a pdf thousands of bootleg copies floating around the internet that's one of the problems with a, a digital asset like that is it gets copied and in those days in particular there was not really any way to protect that content there are more ways now with kindle stuff like that uh, but in those days a pdf was really all you could do with a password if you wanted a password protected but a password's really really useless so um, that's that's thousands of copies out there
0: No, i think the logic still holds good even today in terms of titles and i think they've got the good side and they have the bad side in the sense that you know when you look at titles today news channels tends to send news you know newspapers tend to sensationalize you know, things by, by giving really catchy titles. I mean, you actually read it as and when people read, because of course, nowadays we don't read as much as we should. Uh, and like Alex said, is it's not just about the title, it's also about the content. That's where the actual value lies. But I think that's an important point is attracting people with a right title. And I think that's where a lot of young people get it wrong also in terms of the way that they position themselves in terms of their CVs and all. It's not catchy enough. You know to get people's attention you need to get people's attention and that leads me to the point of what also got me attention to your profile is you know it's so varied and we're struggling to say which element or which strand do we catch so i'm going to pull you a little back to the aviation side of it and here's a question for you what is your favorite aircraft of all time which is that aircraft that you say is the one that i really love
1: yeah, I was just asked this question the other day at uh, in the office. Uh, there were some Airbus uh, people there. And um, so I I answered it's the 340-500 the is uh, my favorite aircraft, I would say. Uh, you know, I flew the 380, and that's a nice aircraft as well. It's like a big truck, very powerful. You're sitting high up off the ground. Um and it's it's a nice aircraft as well. The three forty three hundred is essentially the same fuselage as the three forty five hundred, but uh, the the engines are much much less powerful. Uh, so the three forty has the power, um, and it's it's nice and quiet up front. It's a nice handling aircraft, easy to land, hard to take off, but easy to land. Most aircraft are the other way around, easy to take off and sometimes hard to land. But the the three forty five hundred is uh, it, it gives a lot of guys uh, a challenge to take take off with it properly because there's quite a delay from the time that you pull the uh, stick back to the time that it actually reacts. Uh, one reason is the, um, the length of the fuselage but also just in the programming of the fly-by-wire I think so that catches a few people off guard because you, you pull back and nothing happens and just as the first amount uh, is coming in to uh, to action uh, you pull back some more and this so, so you get double what you meant to put in and uh, so that can be challenging
0: and i think like you pointed out if i remember right uh, it's it was one of the longest aircraft in terms of the f- fuselage right in production uh, in it, so it was pretty.
1: One of them, yeah. The three forty six hundred is even longer, but the five hundred is
0: quite long. Yeah, I remember that because that was the debate, uh, and of course, I'm no longer with Qatar Airways, so I can talk about it. Is that you know, uh, when Qatar Airways started,
2: which one is longer? <laughs> no,
0: the, the debate was about going in for the three forty. So Qatar had placed an order for eight three forties because you know about the the sort of di- the aircraft range, and you know you had all these sort of you know things that sort of airbus sold to them and then they put it on London on the London route and boom down went the profitability of London because it goes back to the the equation of why four engines when you know you can fly things with two so I think you know while while it was a a great aircraft I think when you look at economics of it again depending on which route you offer you operate it had its challenges and I remember flying in that aircraft and I you know it was like like you said is it's Looking at the aircraft from outside, it's a beautiful aircraft to look at, very sleek. And I think if you look at my post, uh, uh, you know, a few days back on LinkedIn, it was a 340 that I was busy, uh, you know, flying around in the office, if I can use that word. But I had to check exactly which series it was. So I think, you know, you bring back memories about the 340, but... uh, The 380, uh, I mean, would you say 380 is your second preferred one or would you have our friends at Boeing uh, be a little bit happy by saying, you know, one of theirs would be at number two, uh, Roger?
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, the the 757 is a beautiful aircraft, to be sure. It's uh, got lots of power and uh, it's a lot older aircraft. So, I mean, it was designed really in the 70s and 80s, so... What they managed to do with the, that technology then was very impressive, uh, but yeah, I would say uh, overall the 380 would would probably be my number two because that's uh, that's got uh, it's a very comfortable aircraft for the passengers and for for the crew as well. They've got a nice crew rest area. There, any aircraft with a crew rest area for the pilots and the cabin crew that's got to be a good aircraft because uh, at least you can get uh, some some rest uh, during those long trips uh, for
2: safety yeah. my memory of the 340 I think I only flew once on Lufthansa and to be honest I don't know which uh, which was at 300 400 I don't know uh, but but what struck me is uh, lavatories were located downstairs and I never seen that on any other uh, commercial aircraft so when I discovered this I was like wow yeah. this is a very 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 special aircraft because it just feels like you're in a club because usually like in, in bars or in clubs at least in Europe la- toilets are downstairs right so I felt like that is very funny and weird you know
1: yeah I think that would have been the three forty six hundred 600 then with Lufthansa if I'm not wrong
2: probably yeah you would know yeah, better I believe the
1: labs <laughs> are da- downstairs under. Yeah, and then the other one they had is a 340-300, I, I believe, uh, or 200. But uh, I believe the one with the left would be the 600. Wow, well, I mean,
0: yeah, and I see. So you can talk about aircraft forever, but then for Mike, then I have a question going to Boeing and touching on the 757. And you said, yeah, that's a pretty oldish aircraft. But then again, you would say the same about the 737, which Boeing has, I would say, literally, you know, stretched as much as it can try to sort of make the best of it and i think do you think that boeing has perhaps lost out in the range for you know long uh you know long haul narrow body with airbus because now with airbus and the 321 you know in terms of the range if boeing had focused on the 757 uh you know they sort of would have had a good sort of you know alternative to to what airbus is offering from a narrow body perspective
1: yeah i was just Talking about that uh, to some Boeing engagement pilots uh, in the office uh, because there's a number of uh, Boeing uh, company pilots uh, at uh, working in in my office as well, um, consulting with uh, with Air India as part of a, the program, a very good program that Boeing has, where they uh, support the airlines. Uh, to grow and bring in new aircraft, and uh, I asked them, you know, what's coming after the seven eight seven, and um, we 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 said exactly that that the there needs to be a a longer aircraft uh, and, and something else beyond the seven three seven. It's stretched about as far as it can go, not only physically but also technology wise. It's still real cables, not fly-by-wire. You know, the wires, All most aircraft are fly-by-wire, but some of the wires are real uh, cables. They're not uh, electronic wires. So uh, they said uh, there is something coming. Obviously Boeing's working on something, uh, but uh, even uh, they are not aware of the details of what it is right now. But obviously something will come uh, in, in time. Yeah, the 321 is going to be hard to compete against for sure. And they need they need something, especially the long-range 321s. So they're going to need something that can, can compete against that.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, and I think it'll be interesting. And like I saw one of your posts, which was a pretty old post, you said after the 797, what, what I mean, so obviously we would call it the 797, but after the 797,
1: where does Boeing go? What's next? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a good question. I I would like to know that. Somebody I have a friend in um, in Hong Kong. He used to work for Cafe Pacific and he's still in Hong Kong. And he said there is there is a eight something Boeing, but it's a hydrofoil. Or there there is something beyond the seven eight seven, but it's it's actually a Boeing hydrofoil that was sold and there are a couple of them that are going around Hong Kong. His Boeing used to make uh, big boats, uh, hydrofoils, at that time. So there is something, but it'll be interesting to see uh, whether it's gonna be the 818 or what are they gonna do? And also with Airbus, what are they gonna do um, after the 380, is there gonna be a a 390? Uh, I don't know, we'll have to see. Yeah, I guess that's that's the interesting
0: thing about, about you know, planes, you know, and, and to see what ha- what are the new ones that are up there on the horizon. Focusing on numbers, Alex, if I may. Uh, so, you know, you're in a country with the largest population in the world. And, uh, you know, I don't know, we are at, uh, I mean, and I say that to, to our listeners, we were talking about this before we started the recording. We are all in, in, in different places, uh, in different countries from what we are. So I'm Indian. I'm in Abu Dhabi. Right. Roger is, is, is in, in, uh, in, uh, in India. Uh, Alex is in Berlin. So it's, it's all mixed up. But that's what makes aviation so great, because if aviation was a normal industry, you know, we would not be sort of as passionate as we are about it. So you're in India, the country with the largest population in the world, one of the largest young populations in the world. But also a country which perhaps has been sort of sleeping for quite some time when it comes to air travel and suddenly boom, you know three years ago or just just two years ago, I would say that uh, you know the it's sort of woken up from its slumber and it's like all over the news, so we basically see, oh India's everywhere, you know. The Tata group indigo uh, you know you you've got all this news happening and and I'm sure I'm not going to talk to Roger you're not going to talk to Roger about specific you know Tata or whatever keeping in mind you know the thing but broadly on a broad broad perspective uh, what do you think is the potential in India when it comes to air travel versus rail because number one is millions of Indians still travel by rail and Air is still relatively new. Airports, you know, there are, but improving, but still it's relatively small when you compare it to a country like China. So what are your thoughts now that you've been in India for, how many months have you been in India so far? Oh, wow. Okay. Two and a half months. And what what are your thoughts about India aviation, you know?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's got huge potential and, um, the The overall uh, age of, of people working in, in the buildings where I work, I think, is probably uh, early to mid-30s. Um, and uh, there are yeah a great deal of uh, young people. I think in India there's some statistic like only 5% of people in India have flown on an aircraft. So that means about 95% of people have not and uh, obviously, that's going to change uh, with time. And um, the, the infrastructure on the ground can be somewhat challenging, not only due to financial constraints, but also just because some of the terrain is so uh, challenging with the mountains, uh, etc., and rivers. Uh, and I was talking to one lady. She was going back to Punjab for... The valley, and I said, uh, How long is the flight? She said, uh, 50 minutes, five zero minutes. And I said, Well, how long would it take to drive? And she said, 11 or 12 hours. So, obviously, there's a huge advantage uh, flying that way. And the cost, cost is probably same to fly as to drive, uh, you know, and, and a lot safer, probably, too. So, uh, yeah. And rail would be very interesting here. One thing I would like to see India become a leader in would be uh, biofuels. I think there's a big potential for that, especially because uh, hydrocarbons, fossil fuels are not as plentiful here as they are in some other regions. Uh, But India's got the land and they've got the sunshine to be able to produce biofuels. And um, there are some organizations working on that right now. Um, and I think that would be uh, very good if, if uh, that could grow to uh, supply a good portion of fuels in, in India, um, not only for development of the country, but also to reduce pollution and uh, greenhouse gases as well. Uh, so... I would I would like to see that, and we're we're looking at uh, some steps to initiate uh, that uh, in in various ways as well.
2: I believe India is a very exciting place to be now because of all this aviation developments in in aviation and with uh, Air India rebranding. Um, I, we mentioned that you are with Stata Group with Air India right now. Um, I don't know to what extent you can talk about your role and what you are doing there, but if you could share some maybe highlights of what you are busy with at the moment, that would be also very interesting. Yeah,
1: so my main role is uh, helping in some aspects of the merger of the four carriers, Air India, Vistera, Air India Express and Air Asia India into one large carrier, Air India, uh, the, the new group, large group. Uh, I'm mainly focusing on aspects such as uh, manual harmonization, some of the policies, some of the training policies, uh, also safety. You know, there's huge scope uh, for developing nav visual approaches here in India. What we want to have in, say, three years from now, is there won't be any airports that the airline flies to that don't have uh, guidance, lateral and vertical guidance uh, for the pilots, uh, all the way to the runway threshold. It's, it's uh, essential that we provide the pilots guidance all of the way to the runway threshold. And this is one of the things that I worked on primarily at Emirates. I worked with a group of guys, I coordinated a group of guys that uh, we developed uh, special RNAV, RNP approaches. Seychelles was one of the first ones that we did. That was the first RNPAR approach in uh, Africa. And there's a 3,000-foot mountain there, so we built that special approach with a curve in it that uh, followed the coastline, and that approach is used probably three or four times a day at least, and um, it, it increased safety a great deal uh, because uh, the, the approaches are not restricted to straight lines anymore with that kind of approach. So this is one of the things I want to do here in India is to make sure that we increase safety that way by building those kind of approaches.
0: And I think uh, Alex from a geographical perspective, India is like uh, Roger said, is such a vast country you got you know the mountains of the north to the hills of you know the west and east of india and then of course you know you got so many and then you got the northeast as well which is pretty challenging and very underdeveloped when it comes to you know aviation especially so i think you know it's it's such a big challenge of the in in the country so i think uh, Roger has got his hands full uh, you know when it when it, plus especially when you talk about four airlines you know merging two airlines is 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 is, is challenging enough but when you talk about four Four distinct airline. I mean, uh, you know, four distinct airlines, and I would consider them that because you know, Air India Express had its own model, Air Asia. Air, you know, Air Asia India had its own model, Vistara. So I think you know, wow, it's it's four four is is really a big challenge.
1: Yeah, it's it's a big uh, task for. I mean, I'm just junior in in the whole organization. I don't want to make it sound like I'm a key player or anything in that. Uh, merger there's there's a lot of people working on it but um if i can help some way in the safety and efficiency aspect so that uh then i'll i'll be happy that
2: uh, I, I did absolutely well absolutely and we are wishing you well in that journey uh we are um ahead of a big air show dubai air show is coming up next week right and we just wanted to ask you, what, what, what are your thoughts on this? Are you going to go there? Um, are you expecting something to come out of it? Like, personally, I am so excited to see the new livery of Ria there, <laughs> that they will be um, showcasing there. That's m- my personal, you know, thing that I'm uh, waiting for. Um, are you going uh, to Dubai for the air show?
1: Uh, I won't be, no, I'm going to stay here until just before Christmas, then I'm, I'm going to go on holiday uh, with my family up, up to Europe, uh, but yeah, which airline was it that you were saying? Riyadh, uh, Riyadh uh, Air. Riyad ah, yeah, they're going to be there. From with Saudi
2: the Arabia, yeah. The
1: purple mm-hmm. aircraft, right, right, yeah, that'll be interesting to see.
0: Uh, no, but uh, but Roger, just a question. So this is more of a technical question. So obviously they spoke about they're going to have two main liveries, and of course the lavender aircraft from an operational perspective in uh, in in the desert is, I mean, I'm talking about, I, I mean, I'm talking about the color. Is that an optimal color, or you know, I w- I would love to see a flight a uh, uh, whole line of lavender aircraft in the desert, but operational operationally, does that uh, prove any challenges? In terms of color
1: that's a good question. Um, I would imagine now nowadays the the manufacturers are pretty good at uh testing and making sure that the paint can withstand uh the the heat etc. i mean the the most efficient uh, paint paint from a cost and uh lack of friction point of view i think is no paint at all like american airlines used to have you know the silver aircraft uh but there there can be some corrosion issues uh, with with that Uh, so even american has gone with um a lot more paint on the aircraft than than they used to have Uh, but uh, yeah it's a good question whether darker colors will be hotter uh, than, than the white, uh, the lighter colors. Uh, we'll, we'll have to see how that turns out. Yeah, well, they can afford, they can probably afford, Saudi can afford uh, whatever. Challenges it might bring they can they can probably afford to fix it.
0: Okay So let's throw a prediction out here because when people actually get to see this episode I think the Dubai air show would be over so it'll be great for us to test our predictions out. So let's start first Uh, I'll start with Alex first. So Alex, what do you think the second livery of Riyadh air would be? Would it be? what, What do you think the color scheme would be and I'll then come to Roger?
2: I just hope it's not going to be Euro white. I've got enough of Euro white in Europe. Um anything that is not Euro white is very exciting and in fact Roger you just mentioned something about American Airlines which I honestly I didn't know. I saw that they painted it uh, silver. I didn't know that this it
1: was basically bare metal, yeah.
2: See, yeah, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Actually, even silver looks so much better than Euro White. So I'm just against Euro White. Anything else is super, super. <laughs>
0: Okay, so so Alex says no Euro White, anything else? So okay, but let's go to Roger. Roger, what do you think would be there the new livery? Because this will be, the, I'm sure, the second livery. So what do you think it would be? What color scheme would it
1: be? Well, uh, yeah, it won't be sand colored because that's what Saudi, Saudia is. So I don't think we'll see sand colored. Uh, yeah. Well, my favorite color is uh, lime green, so I'll say lime green. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, uh, t- twin oh, okay. sister of Transavia, that's what you want uh, Ria there to be?
1: <laughs> yeah, I like Transavia, especially the seats. I saw your post on LinkedIn with the the interior color of the seats. I really like that. I, I love that color. Okay.
0: So, coming to my guess, I have a feeling it's going to be not exactly Euro white, but, uh, but, but white with maybe dashes of lavender. So, so you know, so that's what my thing is. But anyway, let's wait and see. I think it's just a few days more. But I'm conscious of time as well. And I've got a few more sort of questions I want to ask about predictions. Now, I'll start with Roger first. Roger, in terms of orders, which airline do you think could be the one with the biggest order? And which aircraft?
1: Well, Air India's already announced very large orders. So I don't think, we would see additional ones coming from there right now. Uh, you never know about Emirates. They could surprise. Uh, they've already got a bunch of 350s uh, on order. Yeah, it's it's really very, very hard to to say. Is it? Probably it'll be something that we're, none of us are expecting.
0: Okay, let's look at Emirates. Let me take your first choice of Emirates and see if that comes through and maybe the unexpected as well. Yeah, Alex, what about you?
2: um yeah I, I don't know i mean uh, turkish did they make a big order already
0: no they postponed that they, they oh they yeah
2: maybe turkish then okay. maybe turkish
0: okay. for me yeah it could be turkish for me i think the news that i heard is going to be riyadh air so i think they're going to be the leader when it comes to orders and it's going to be a narrow body order so my money is on airbus because they did the boeing on the white body and uh, so, I, I think it's going to be Airbus and it's going to be a mix of maybe 320s, 321s. But let's see if I'm wrong. And, like Roger said, is I have a feeling Emirates could squeeze in an order as well. Uh, Indian carriers from India, definitely not. The Parish Air Show was actually the Indian Air Show. Uh, so, so, you know, if you see majority of the orders for India. So, let's wait and see. So, to our listeners there, you know, when you listen to this, uh, please do, do, do sort of see which of us were right or partly right and even if we were wrong it doesn't matter because aviation is still fun anyway so it's not about making the right predictions it's just about you know you know the joy of aviation alex
2: yeah no absolutely uh, i i agree with, with you david and i want to thank you roger for joining us today and sharing uh, your experiences your very different experiences i think uh, it's it's a good listen for anyone and especially for people you know being stuck maybe with with their job or you know looking for new opportunities i think you're a perfect example of a person who utilizes all the opportunities to identify some new ones and you leverage your ex- past experiences in your new roles. Uh, so even I take it as a great lesson, so thank you so much.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate uh, both your time, and uh, it's been a pleasure.
0: So, Roger, my last question, and again, uh, a, a quick answer from you, a quick rapid-fire answer. What advice would you give to the young generation out there when it comes to aviation? What's your bit of advice?
1: Yeah, it's uh, that's, a, that's a good one. Um, You've kind of stumped me there, but I mean, if you really, if you really want to fly, then you'll know it, you know. And and the money doesn't necessarily really matter, because I, you know, when I got into it, it the money was kind of secondary. It does pay okay, uh, but in, in aviation globally, unless you're in the USA. As a pilot, really, the, the big bucks is is not really going to be there, the same as it might be for a doctor or lawyers or all, all those things. So that's something to think about, but the for most people who want to fly, the money is really secondary, and uh, so it's it's what you want to do, and do you want to travel? Uh, those are the kind of things that are most important, and you'll, you'll still probably have a comfortable life financially, uh, that, that, that's what I would say.
0: Thank you, Roger. And I think that makes perfect sense to what I think the title is going to be. And I'll make sure I I share it to you all before we decide on the title, but it's about passion. And I think passion should drive where you need to get to rather than the other way around, just doing a job for the sake of doing a job, right? It's never about the money. It's about the passion and the money will follow. Or, you know, you're just happy doing what you want. So I think, thank you so much again, Roger. Yeah,
1: exactly. If you... If you really want to be rich, you have to work for yourself, ultimately. You know, uh, that's that's the way to really uh, become wealthy. Not that I have necessarily been successful in that regard. I've made a lot of mistakes along the way. But if, if you really want to be wealthy, you have to uh, create something that very few other people have done and be in business for yourself. Thank you. Yeah.
2: And we will leave our listeners with that. (laughs) Thank you once again, Roger. (laughs) Bye.